Hey, Kai. How's it going? Hey, Nick. Great to speak to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So let me start with this. How do you describe what you do when you meet someone new at, say, a holiday party? You know, it's the holidays coming up. Like someone says, oh, what do you do? Uh, what's your response? It, it's very funny that you asked it because I, me and my co-founder had the conversation that we've been struggling for a long time with kind of explaining the concept of emotional intelligence to, to other people. I think by now we're telling people that we're, that we're building an app that helps people become emotionally more intelligent. Hmm. Funnily enough, there's always the same answer to that. It's either I need that, my husband needs that, or my wife needs <laughs> it. Those are the only answers we ever get. Right. So people, well, what that tells me though is that people resonate with that idea though. They, they kind of, they, you don't have to do a lot of explaining about what emotional intelligence is. We do. I mean, everybody has their own understanding. I think most people kind of go the, the soft skill approach, but I mean, it leads to a conversation and which is nice. So I get to talk about my business, which I, which I do like. And um, so I kind of stopped trying to find the perfect words uh, and rather make a conversation and really explain to them in depth what we do. I love that. Now you've got, you've got kind of a fascinating background. So kind of tell us a little bit about, about your background and, and why you decided, you decided to kind of get into this, the, the app um, business and emotional intelligence. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I don't have any background that prepared me to build an, an app for emotional intelligence. Um, so <laughs> my background is in is in law, and um, frankly, said I don't think I was a very good lawyer. Um, but uh, I started my career out in in Asia. I've always worked in startups. I really much. I always enjoyed building stuff, um, and um, built two other companies, and um, worked with an American company called Casper Sleep um, until the IPO. Um, in New York, but really the idea for for uh, Ahead came out of a pretty stressful period um, that me and my co-founder had uh, building a previous company, and the realization that you know we just had certain behaviors and that we got accustomed to in our lives, and that were really standing in between us and success, both in private and professional life. Um, I don't think we ever really considered them to be mental health problems. We were just really aware of the flaws and how they were negatively impacting uh, our daily lives. And um, I had was in the beginning, not really a company. You know, it was just us two trying to figure out you know, how we can become better. Yeah. Can you, um, I know this is kind of personal, but can you give us like a specific example of like what some of those behaviors were that you, you feel like were were unproductive or unhelpful that, that, this ultimately the app became kind of a, a sort of an answer to yeah no definitely so i think uh, procrastination has been something that has been following both me and my co-founder since our studies and um, obviously we found ways to overcome them but it is it has been something that was a big pain you know and the funny thing is that you, you you can be successful in career but then you have these areas in your life where procrastination is a really big thing like when i do my taxes or any kind of personal bookkeeping, I'm terrible at that. I still remember my mom telling me you should never in your life ever become an entrepreneur, right? If you can't deal with your personal stuff, you should never be running a company. <laughs> but that seems to work out. But that personal side, uh, I still, I still haven't figured that fully out. But it's a lot. I mean, uh, anger has been has been one topic, uh, not in its severest form, but being annoyed by certain behaviors and then being annoyed by myself about being annoyed about other things. Uh, has been a big topic in my life. My co-founder had his own topics, but I'm sure 
uh, he, he wouldn't enjoy me speaking about them. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that that's helpful and, and very relatable. I think those are all things that we. Um, I, I like how you pointed out, especially with procrastination, that it, it can sort of strike in one area of our life, even though in, in many areas we may not struggle with it too much. But then there's this one particular area where it's just really uh, kind of a thorn in our side. Um, and I think that's helpful because I, I think, yeah, the way we think about these things can be kind of black and white. Um, so I think that's it's good for people to hear because um, I'm certainly like that, um, especially with anger. Like, God, I think like most people who know me would would not consider me a, a terribly like angry person. But to put a little nuance on it, I can be really impatient and like, so especially like with my kids sometimes, which really bothers me. And then back to your point, then I get like mad at myself for being impatient with my kids who are just, they're just little kids and like they do little kid stuff and <laughs> it's, it's pretty normal for them not to follow the rules sometimes, right? That's, that's what you do as a kid. Um, so I, I, I think that that's. Yeah, that that that's really helpful. Now, how I want to I want to ask you specifically. You, so you framed up when I asked you about what you did. You, you, emotional intelligence is kind of the the the, the big umbrella term. Um, wh- how did you settle on that? Because there's so many, and this is something I struggle a lot with with my own work. I, I struggle with what do I actually call it because it's it's not. And we'll talk more about this, but it's not like clinical mental health, right? It's something yeah, closer to what self improvement, personal growth, emotional health, emotional intelligence, like. How, how did you guys kind of decide on emotional intelligence as the, the most appropriate sort of term for what you guys are working on? I think it's it's incredibly tough. And, you know, this comes up with everybody that you speak about this topic is that it's incredibly hard to find a name for it because, frankly, like nobody would ever describe their problem as I'm not emotionally intelligent, right? That that sentence has very, uh, very strongly said, but... Uh, I think we found this umbrella term because it kind of worked for us, uh, whether you want to call it emotional fitness or mental fitness. I think the for us, it becomes interesting that people tend to talk in their own problems, right? You you kind of phrase your flaw or your weakness in a very specific manner. Like, I get always annoyed by behavior X, Y, Z, or I get angry about um, my partner doing X, Y, Z. And that is very much what you need to connect to, that individual problem. And if you then call it emotional intelligence is mostly in these kind of meta conversations between people like us where we talk about emotional intelligence when we talk to our users or you know when we phrase something it's very much directly in connection to the problem and that is in at least in our experience the the best way to address these issues okay so then so a question and again this is i'm asking you the question but it's really a question i have for myself so i'm trying to get trying to get yeah. you to answer for me maybe <laughs> if the if the specific problem people are dealing with is procrastination or anger and impatience or whatever like why not just build an app for anger specifically or why not build an app for procrastination in particular why why take it to this next kind of broader more abstract level of emotional intelligence or or sort of self improvement or whatever you want to call yeah. it it's a, it's a very valid question and to be honest we've uh, we have discussed if it makes sense to release separate products um for for all of those individual problem statements but i think the from a user perspective you need to have this certain direct connection between problem and solution that you want to give to a user and if somebody comes and says you know i have an issue with procrastination you come with hey here's your solution to uh, for emotional intelligence, you're not going to connect to that problem statement. I think that's a big problem that uh, meditation had sometimes, right? Because somebody came and says, I was stressed, and they were always trying to put the same badge on top of it, saying, here's meditation, 
against your anger. Here's meditation against your stress because it's a great technique, obviously, but it's not directly connecting to that problem statement. So I think the way that in, in which we have built ahead is that the, the solution kind of takes the shape of the problem of the user. So when somebody comes to us and says, I have an issue with procrastination or anger, he can at the very beginning choose a journey and everything that follows will be very much tailored towards that problem statement. And all of the tools that we're dealing with are kind of looking at this problem from a perspective of the user problem. So we very rarely ever use the term emotional intelligence or that higher level meta conversation with the user. Yeah, that, no, that, that makes sense. Um, but, but there is some acknowledgement, right? That, that while there isn't just one solution to all these different problems that people may be struggling with, um, it, it's, you know, mindfulness is not going to like solve all your problems in life, right? Do, Completely, doing a 15 yeah. minute mindfulness meditation. But at the same time, there, there is, at least to me, implicit in, in your guys' work that, that I've looked at directly, but also just in your decision to make an app that is, a, that is, whether you market it this way or not, sort of about emotional intelligence. And maybe I'm reading into this, but to me, part of the implication is that there are, there are commonalities in how you approach any kind of difficult emotional struggle, whether it's anger or procrastination or you know defensiveness or whatever it is, right? Would you agree, or, or is there is there nuance on that? What do you what do you think about that? No, I completely agree, and I think you know I, I we look at this from a, like a toolbox perspective, right? There are certain tools that are better for for certain problems, but in general, it's good to have a hammer and a screw and a couple of nails. <laughs> And uh, those help you on a lot of things that you need to fix. And then there, you know, sometimes you need a wrench and sometimes you need some other things that, that help you on, on certain more complex problems. But it is, there's kind of a general tool set that you can work with on most of, most of the things that, that, you know, all of us are dealing with. And then there are a couple of, of more complex or more advanced things that come into place um, for specific use cases. Um, but I very much agree with you that there is a base layer and then there are additional things that, that you can do and that you can learn for each individual problem. Yeah, for sure. So, um, another kind of big question I have, cause again, it's something I think a lot about there's, there's all sorts of possible approaches someone could take to, if they have some sort of, you know, emotional difficulty. And I'm not saying like a clinical disorder or something, but they tend to get like, more frustrated than they would like with their kids, right? And they want to like, God, I, I wish I was more patient. Like, what do I do? Well, there's, you know, you can browse Amazon for self-help books. You can do therapy, you know, something like the, even if you don't think you're, it's not, you know, wrecking your life, you can still use therapy for something like that. Um, you could, I don't know, you can join a support group. Like there's, there's a lot of different approaches. So what, tell me a little bit about your guys's decision-making on the, the solution we want to pursue is, um, sort of through technology specifically, like mobile technology and an app. Like why an app? So what 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 sort of unique advantages does that bring to this problem, I guess? Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting part here is that we've been part of the problem. Like, so we've, like, we've been the user that kind of was looking for solutions. So we went through reading books and reading articles and, you know, listening to podcasts and uh, seeing coaches and all of that. And the thing that we that we realized at some point, and my co-founder put it very neatly, we've been trying to learn how to ride a bike by kind of watching other people riding bikes in the sense that we've been passively consuming a lot of content 
and that was very inspiring, but it was something very different than behavior change, right? So, and when you try to learn new skills, it's very much about doing that skill. So I think the, the way that we approached it was that we had a big issue with, with actionizing all of that theoretical knowledge that we've consumed. So we've been really looking for some a way to actionize this and really start doing it. And um, that's how we really ended up with mobile technology because I think the unique positioning that, that mobile apps have is that it is woven into our daily lives, right? I mean, for, for many and probably most of us, you know, it's both the first and the last thing that we see on a daily basis, which you can, we can talk about if that's good or bad, but you know, it, it sadly is the case. Plus there's another few dozen to hundreds of unlocks throughout the day. And when you think about behavior change, right, that's kind of the best case scenario you can wish for, you know, something that you have with you on a daily basis that is part of your day, it's woven into your daily life, and you have the chance to reach the user wherever they are. Um, so this is, it's primed for behavior change. And for us, it was really identifying, can we go from a very passive medium, which is a book? No, I mean, all of this knowledge that we are, that, that I had is kind of, is looking at has been there for years. We're not, we're not reinventing this, right? This has been in PhD thesis or books for, for many centuries. It's just, a, the problem is that it's very hard to get out of there and into the heads of people. And then from those heads into actual action. And I think for that, apps are just really great because they're interactive, they're fun, you know, they're bite-sized, they're, you take them with you everywhere. And there are companies like Duolingo that have just done a really, really great job of showing us how we can learn the skill you know, and actually enjoy it. Yeah, I, I resonate with that a lot. I, I, something I heard all the time in my work as a therapist was people would say... <laughs> You know, I, okay, I, I get this. Like this idea was great. I'm so glad I've had this kind of this big insight. It's really important. Um, but like we talk about it every week. But then I I leave therapy and like I want to work on it. But like life happens, and it's it's not even that I forget what I, what I want to do or how to do it. It's it, it's it's that I'm just not reminded of it. It just doesn't. I haven't forgot the actual content. I just forget to remember it. <laughs> right? And so people would say to me like, "I wish you could just follow me around all the time and like remind me to like, oh yeah, think about this. You know, oh there, it looks like you're getting kind of anxious again. What what's your strategy for?" And so I think that's really underappreciated that we, like you said, we have so many great ideas, right? In in this world of kind of like a, a personal growth, emotional intelligence. Um, but what's what really seems to be lacking is the the implementation. Like, how do I actually do it? And the first part of that is just how do I figure out how to remember to start doing it in the first place? And, and like you said, like I think an, an app is so primed for that uh, because, for better or worse, like we've all got our phones on us all the time. That is one hundred percent true. Um, <laughs> I am guilty of that myself. Um... And I think to, to one extent, we realized at some point that we've been lying to ourselves if we believe that, you know, reading, I don't know, 10 pages of a very smart book before going to bed and, and expecting that we actually change behavior the next day, right? Or that we remember those concepts and then, you know, walk through our life with open eyes and be self-aware, right? I mean, the complexity is that the, the concepts, these theoretical concepts of being mindful or being self-aware are incredibly vague and hard to understand. And, actionize so uh, dealing with a medium like an app that can remind you of a daily basis of the really small things you know watch out for your triggers learn how to spot certain behaviors you know do your hands get sweaty like does your heartbeat increase right 
Are you starting to fumble around with your hands in front of your face, right? You might be angry, right? What, what you're seeing there might all be things that you can spot to understand that you're angry, right? This is, this is something that an app can really help you with an understanding and it can do it in a funny and kind of entertaining way. And that, that has been one of the core concepts of what we've tried to build is, can we switch the mindset on personal improvement or improvement away from something that you have to do in your mind to something that you want to do? And in order to get there, it needs to be fun. And I think that is something that an app can be, which is just very hard for a book to do. I love it. There's something so, I, I think about the, um, I, I still have these images in my head of when like when Steve Jobs announced the app store for, for the iPhone and the, this like collage of all these little like colorful, fun little squares that represented all these apps that you could have on your phone. And I, I remember that there, there's this there's this great like playful quality about apps that sort of was like, it's it's been in the DNA from the beginning that 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 books and therapists and coaches and all these other things that they just don't have that built into the DNA necessarily. But but to your point, I think like a wonderful potential advantage of technology and apps is that they've they've got that little attitude of kind of the right amount of like I don't know playfulness or casualness to them um, that I think can be really helpful for people um, who, are, who who can be kind of intimidated by by other forms of of help with this stuff. Completely. And I, what I'm saying here is not that I think that mobile technology can take over the part or the role that, you know, a book plays or that a coach plays, right? I'm not at all uh, of that opinion. I think it is, you know, what you said before really resonates with me is, you know, when you see a coach for an hour and you step back, you step out of that door, right? Life hits, like your email come in and WhatsApp comes in. It's really hard, but there are topics that are just very hard to do for technology. And I don't know if, if technology will ever be able to do that, right? When you talk about purpose finding and going really deep and kind of understanding uh, areas of your personality, but what it definitely can help you is with the daily implementation and the actual execution of your goals and help you on that path. And that is, I think the way that many people use ahead is you have a certain goal and you need something that supports you in building long-term behavior change. And that is where, where an app is really primed for. Okay. Th this is a, a, maybe a slightly rocky transition, but you mentioned awareness and, and kind of insight and, and technology, maybe not being uh, the best for, for kind of quote unquote, deeper projects like that. However, you guys have this really cool little kind of mini project that you released a little while ago um, about self-awareness that I just thought was so fascinating. So can you guys des describe a little bit your little um, self-awareness test and and what makes it kind of unique? Because I'm, I'm, and then I want to talk about it because I'm so uh, kind of fascinated by this idea. Yeah, this is a very funny one. Uh, it's a side project for us. And it, the idea for it really was sparked by, I think it was a Harvard study that uh, that said that, you know, 95% of us believe that we are self-aware, but you know, actually only 10% of us are really <laughs> self-aware. And we had a conversation about this and, you know, uh, try to, like, can we build a test that helps people kind of identify if they're part of the 10% or part of, you know, whatever is remaining that is not as self-aware. And like, there's all of this personality testing and, you know, Maya breaks and all of these tests that, that millions or hundreds of millions of people are doing. And I think that it has a place, but the, the really interesting part for us was, is it's just you kind of looking at yourself, right? But how how can we make that more fun? So I think what we came up with was 
10 questions that you answer about yourself. And then you need to have, find a minimum of three of your peers that you should ideally trust to send this question to, and they'll answer the same set of questions about yourself. And we'll get you an anonymized kind of uh, honest look at yourself and show you this is the way that you've rated yourself. Are you in discussions uh, hot as a jalapeno or cool as a cucumber? And this is what your three peers have said. And this is so interesting to see, you know, and to be honest, like I was pretty far off from many of those things and kind of it puts things into perspective. And I think it, it, it comes down to the fact that many of us are aware of certain strengths and weaknesses, but we're really missing that feedback element in our lives. And, and I, one example, right? I mean, a really great boss will help you grow, you know, and he or she will help you to understand how you can further accelerate your strength and work on your weaknesses. But, you know, not all of us have a really great boss and uh, uh, many of us have really bad bosses. <laughs> so I think this, this kind of uh, giving people uh, you trust the platform to anonymously and kindly provide you with like feedback on things that you can work on is super eye-opening. I, I love it. I, I think it's so... Because like you said, uh, take, taking some kind of personality test, that, that can be an interesting tool for, for self-awareness. But in, in my experience, and I, I gave um, personality assessments for a long time. One of the hardest things, and I think about this with myself when I take them too, because I mean, I love taking a personality test as much as the next person. <laughs> but it's so hard in my experience to disentangle like who I actually am from who I want to be. Like ha how I actually am versus how I want to see myself. I, I'm constantly amazed at how good I am at deluding myself into <laughs> thinking that I, I am some way when really it's, it's, it's an aspiration. It's who I aspire to be. But is that actually who I, am I really as like easygoing as I like to think that I am? Eh, I don't know. I, I, there's definitely more of a control freak in me than, than I like to admit sometimes, which one of the best ways to get that, to, to, to understand that is to, to get those outside comparisons. So I, I just love this. I, I, I'm so kind of enchanted with this idea of having other people take personality tests for you and then kind of compare it, looking at the deltas and comparing the differences and using that as an opportunity um, for personal, because it, it's sort of like a meta layer of self-awareness, right? It's, it's what are the aspects of self-awareness where you have blind spots um, and how can other people's feedback help you see that? And this is, I mean, I think there are some people that look at this from a negative perspective and say, yeah, but um, it's going to spark, you know, aggressive conversations if people tell you that you can improve, but it actually can be so much fun kind of looking at, hey, you know, there is this, or I, yeah, I have a strength, right? I looked at myself and a lot of people kind of look, uh, look down on themselves and they see, hey, everybody else actually sees me as this very confident person. This is great to understand. And then you look at this and uh, realize, okay, wow, there might be some areas that I want to improve in, but and, and that is one of the big issues that we had a big problem with is that from a personality test, this was really lacking the fact of, okay, now I know that I have certain, you know, I don't want to call them weaknesses, but I have certain character traits, but how, how can I improve, right? Because that's where the personality st test kind of stops. And I think that's the part where I had ideally should connect at some point and really kind of give you an option. Hey, there's an area that you've identified where there's a delta between your perception and what other people say, here's a way to work on that. Um, so this, this would really be my big dream that, that, uh, we get to this point and can offer this to people. Yeah. You have, you have one like kind of simple 
little assessment like that, that has this wrinkle of it's not just you, but it's social, right? And so it really gives a deeper level of insight. And then right off the back of that, there are these kind of tailored um, sort of pathways for, okay, like my sort of interpersonal emotional intelligence is more, is the thing like I really like defensiveness or, or anger in, in interpersonal situations. That's what I really want to work on. And like, hey, cool, you guys have this sort of journey that's just about that uh, and, and making kind of real uh, practical kind of behavior changes in there. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's so exciting. Um, so How cool uh, would it be if, if, if these people that you've asked for feedback then after like, I don't know, a month or three months would also tell you, Hey Nick, you've really progressed on this, right? I've I've been really mm. seeing you change. That like, I think that motivation that comes from your own social peer group is the most powerful thing that gets you through uh, self improvement. Because it's, I mean, self improvement is, you know, it's not that fun, and it's a hard and it's long and it's small <laughs> steps. But you now seeing like other people giving you recognition for the work that you that you're putting in is the best. Mm. Absolutely, and I. I, I, I wonder too about this with kind of the, what, so what, what are the competitive advantages, so to speak of, of technology for kind of personal growth. And to me that the, the potential for making personal growth, self-improvement, a kind of communal experience is so key. Like, I think that is just, like you said, it's so powerful when, when, personal growth stops being this kind of isolated thing that I'm just doing with my little book or with what my one coach or therapist, but it becomes this journey you're on at least to some extent with, with other people and, and, and the potential for, for technology to kind of assist in that, I think is like, it's just so exciting for me to like, as someone who thinks about kind of emotional health and, and personal growth a lot, like that's so exciting to, to think of the possibilities there. Yeah. I mean, 100%. And it, like there are, I think there are basic versions of it and then more complex versions. I remember when we, when we first talked through emotional granularity and we looked at these, you, know, you have all of these graphics that kind of put all of the emotions in the world on one graphic and it's nobody can ever deal with it because it's so complex. But once you put that in, a, in an app and kind of make it playful, so you click on one emotion, then you can go levels deeper and understand, you know, What are the different granularities behind that emotion? It can be so much fun to look at the situation and imagine what you've gone through on a daily basis and then really understand what you were feeling in that moment. And uh, mm. I think those and are just... You, when you say emotional granularity, do you mean some, something like going from, oh, I'm really angry right now to, oh, I'm angry, but more specifically, I'm, I'm frustrated or I'm, I'm feeling impatient, right? As sort exactly. of more granular or, um, versions of that. Yeah. Completely. Because, I mean, this emotional education is something that it has been completely or is still completely missing from our education. I mean, I went, I went through, I don't know, 16 years of uh, education, including law, and nobody has ever told me that there are more than six or seven different emotions that I'm feeling, right? You kind of grow up with this, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm, uh, I'm not sure if I can say this here, I'm horny or I'm hungry. And then you, you understand at a certain point and you learn over time that there's so many different shades to all of that. But if you don't, don't even know the names for it and you never learn these concepts, it's incredibly hard to differentiate how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I mean this is a primitive analogy, but it's, it's like a, trying to be a physicist and, and only having sort of algebra level uh, tools <laughs> under understanding. You know, if, you, if your education stopped at this very kind of primitive point, it would really hamper your ability to, to work and be effectively um, 
yeah, in the future. So I, I love that idea of kind of emotional education um, and thinking about how do we, at least in your world, how, how can, what uniquely can, can technology and mobile technology in particular kind of offer, offer there. Um, I want to, and I actually, I want to, I want to talk more about kind of the, this sort of what's coming up, like the future of sort of, of emotional health and technology. But before we do, I'm, I'm really curious about, we've been talking about emotional intelligence and, and kind of on a personal level, but as, as a founder and someone who's running a, a increasingly complex kind of business, how do you, how do you think about emotional intelligence from like an organizational perspective? Um, so for instance, like, how do you, if when you're, if you're hiring a new person, does that factor in like their emotional intelligence? How do you, how do you think about that? Like, how do you, do you assess that formally? Is it something that's more intuitive? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to hear you kind of talk about how you think about emotional intelligence uh, as the leader of an organization. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a super tough one because there's, you know, there's this ideal level and then there's the execution of that. So I think there's, you, know, you can very easily come up with high level concepts that sound very intelligent, but then really the, the devil is in the detail uh, when it comes to this. And I think we as a team, we've, we've spent some time on defining values that we want to work by. And it's a great first step. But I think we've then spent a lot more time in defining the operating system. So the, the behaviors and rituals that we want to live by and that really reflect those values. So one example for, is one of the values that we, that we came up with is that we take care of ourselves and our team. And the, I mean, that sounds completely vague and it's very hard to live as a value, but a concrete behavior that came out of that is we have a weekly meeting and before that weekly meeting, we do an emotional reflection. So there's an emotional wheel and kind of everybody pinpoints their emotion on that. It's never discussed, but it gives you kind of a good indication where's the team standing, the excitement in the room, is the board and are people sleepy? And so that's just one of the ways that you can reflect this awareness of your emotions or the... Uh, the passion towards emotional intelligence uh, on a daily basis. Another one is that you know we, we want to be playful, which I think many companies try to be. But one of the ways that we came up with that we want to ritualize this and put it into action is that we have a biweekly play time where the entire team together plays uh, a game. You know, it can be somebody scribbles something, or it can be word guesser or geo guesser. You know, and I think those are things that allow you to bring emotional intelligence, like. Uh, like on front of what you're actually doing on a daily basis. Um, and tackling your second question on the hiring part, I think that's a super tough one. I, to be honest, for us, we've tried the, to have as many interactions with candidates as possible and have them talk to the entire team because those different perspectives and how they, you know, most of the candidates try to make good with the, with the boss kind of make the hiring decision, but how do they treat team members? How do they treat the intern or the working student that you're dealing with, right? What's their perspective? I think that gives you a good indication and a rounded picture. And then if possible, try to engage with them on a small project that really, like, those interactions that you have when you try to produce something together, that's the best feedback in mm. my in my view. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. How do people respond working together on a project? Um, what's, how about just, uh, do you have any kind of like heuristics for if, you, if you're interacting with someone, like what's, what would be an indicator to you? Doesn't, doesn't, it's not deterministic, but something that would make you think, ah, oh, yes, like this person is relatively self-aware or, or has, you know, a, a somewhat above average 
sense of emotional intelligence? Like what, what are the cues to you? Like what, what would you pick up on that would make you, as someone who's spent a lot of time thinking about emotional intelligence and a lot of time thinking about how do we ritualize and sort of turn, turn these insights into behaviors? What do you, I don't know, what do you notice in other people that, that makes you think, ah, what they, they seem to be a pretty emotionally intelligent person. I know that sounds, that, that sounds kind of cliche, but you see what I'm getting at? Like, what are, yeah. what are some indicators to you? I, I know it's a hard question, but I'm just so curious about it. The, one of the, I mean, so the, the moment where this comes regularly to my head is in, in decision-making processes, right? Especially when you have a couple of decision-makers that try to get to a certain thing. And the, the problem there is that you might call it emotionally intelligent, but sometimes people are just really good negotiators or they're just very good in pushing pushing through their kind of view or being very diplomatic on, on arguments. But I think there you can really see how somebody handles the critique from other team players um, or the way that they pitch what they would do or the, their thought process on how they came to a certain solution and how they deal with if their solution is not picked or how they deal with if it has been picked. I think that those are these are great instances where you can see high or low emotional intelligence or at least the spectrum from people especially if it has been projects that have been in the making for a long time or if they're dear to somebody um it's that's a good moment yeah so failure and criticism like how we respond to failure and criticism so going a layer deeper what's what does what's a, a good emotionally intelligent um, or sort of emotionally mature way of handling criticism, like your 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 th your pitch doesn't get picked or doesn't get selected, or or you get critiqued pretty heavily for something. Like, what's going on underneath the surface that allows people to handle that well? Do you think? So, I, one thing that I that I've recently seen that people do, which I find really great, is they've been addressing disappointment and kind of openly saying, "Hey, you know, I was." I put a lot of work into something and this is kind of my expectations. I understood how a decision is made now, but I need a moment to regulate myself, right? I think that's a, it's a very sober way of approaching something by openly telling other people that, you know, this is, this is what's going on inside of me. And this is what is required for me to, in order to get back to the level where I want to be. And I think that's something that makes it a lot easier for other people, especially in a remote setting where you know we, where you don't see the real nuances where you don't have like a, a quick coffee chat on something but where it's really just uh, us kind of sitting in front of our laptops and somebody openly addressing this is this is my emotional world right now i agree i i think that is so it's it's so simple that i think it's easy to overlook but like the the power of it's, it sounds like a joke right but talking about how you feel like literally verbalizing whatever emotion is going on especially the the kind of difficult ones there's something so powerful both on an individual level but i think ultimately for the whole group or team when emotions are sort of allowed to breathe um and and be out there and not these things we're kind of constantly tucking away and sort of um keeping hidden yeah completely and it you can it allows you also to spot certain blind spots or biases that are in the team and i think if they are openly addressed and if somebody says i'm really disappointed because i put a lot of work and thought into something and you know, then somebody else might come up and kind of rationalize his criticism again and say, you know what, this has maybe been going a bit overboard and here's the reason why I said it. So it's, it often sparks interesting conversations. It's, the problem is that sometimes it takes a bit longer to do, have all of these conversations, but over time, you know, you know each other better. 
and that allows you to be a better team. Okay, so final question for you. As someone who's, again, spent a lot of time thinking and working um, in the kind of twin spaces of kind of emotional health and technology, where do you see this space in the near future, five to 10 years? Like, what does this look like? Are, you know, the kind of the intersection of technology and emotional health? Um, I'll leave it open-ended. Yeah, it's, um, that's the one question uh, that I, that, where I really don't have a great answer because I'm like, I want to be careful here by not saying, you know, technology will never go that far because those kind of quotes then later get played back and you know, they, they <laughs> tend to like stu look stupid. But I think we've, we've seen a trend now where technology had a bad impact on the mental health of a lot of people. And we're now saying, uh, seeing a mind shift in that technology, especially mobile technology, can do a lot of good things for mental health as well. So I'm really hoping that this is a trend that continues and people will, you know, there's this concept of bad screen time and good screen time, and that we'll see a bit more good screen time for mental health. And that you know, a lot of teams that have gone to build companies that exploited screen time and exploited kind of the... Uh, the, the you know, built products that exploited the time and space of, of young people will now move towards spaces where they build products um, that will help people and support people in their emotional health and well-being. Uh, yeah, so it's almost kind of a cultural evolution where we we've sort of seen the the dark side, and but that's allowed us in some ways to kind of see the the different direction we want to go. Um, what what? Go ahead. Sorry, no. I'm, I, what I was trying to say, right? I mean, the, the the same tricks that is being that are being used by the dark side, right, are the ones that the the good side will use, right? But I think they've they've been more put into place on the dark side in the past because that's where sadly where more money is, right? I mean, Instagram and Facebook and most of the social media companies are just money making machines and made a lot of sense. And gaming is another sector there, but I think we're now at the point where the same understandings from behavioral design. And, uh, can be used to build products that support people in their goals and not necessarily bring them into an addiction of a product. Yeah. Yeah. Or create um, what are sometimes called positive addictions, right? Like healthy habits that become uh, routine and regular. And yeah. What, okay. What about just because I'm, I'm a nerd and I, I like thinking about this kind of stuff. Um, AR and VR, right? <laughs> I keep, I like these, I feel like these are constantly on the cusp of becoming things but never quite making it there um a like are we close uh to those things being more mainstream and then b like how do you see those in this world of emotional health i guess yeah you i i want to be very clear here right you're asking somebody with a background in law who has you know who's equally curious but probably has the same level of understanding of the ar and vr market than you have so i no, wild some speculation here. Kyle. Wild <laughs> speculation here. No, and that's that's the best discussions. But the 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 fact that I find interesting, people often ask us, you know, are you a mobile app company? And we always ask, with no, no, we are we're building software. And I think for now, the mobile app is the best gateway to support somebody in their goals. But I think the moment that AR and VR become something that is mainstream or that allows us to better support somebody in their goal we would definitely go that way. So I would suppose many others will, as soon as the platforms are a bit more mature, will venture out that way and teams will start building cool products and companies in those spaces. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, 
I've uh, I've seen cool product applications of both AR and VR now, but they are obviously still very much niche. But that has been the case for mobile technology ten years ago. So I'm super excited. Yeah, I I think it's so exciting, and, and it it seems really smart to me too that you guys. I, I like that framing of like we're we're a software company um, because it's sort of, you let the kind of hardware people work out all that stuff, but it's about the that more kind of direct the experience of the technology and how that um, can facilitate these goals we we all have you know of, of wanting to be better and wanting to improve and build better habits and and all that good stuff so well Kai, this has been awesome thanks so much for for making the time um where can people go to learn more about you and your work if they're interested thank you so much for having me nick um the app store is uh the first place a hat app a h e a d i'm super excited for any feedback so if any of your listeners uh can tell us how we can do things better uh, we love your feedback I'm very open towards uh, receiving all critique. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Minds and Mics. If you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you took one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps out a lot. And if you've already done that, please consider sharing Minds and Mics with a friend or family member you think would enjoy it. As always, thank you for continuing to support the show, and we'll see you next time.